0: Most of us don't just want to read our Bible. We want to enjoy it. We want to understand it. This is the Bible Field Guide podcast. We make the Bible make sense. In this episode, we'll explore why understanding the theological themes in a book is kind of like putting on glasses that bring its central message into focus. Have you ever noticed that history doesn't come pre-interpreted? That different people can see the exact same event and then have wildly different interpretations of what happened. This struck me recently when I learned about differing perspectives, differing interpretations on the first moon landing. So one of them was obvious, the, the Soviet Union. Their interpretation of this was that it was a really sour defeat. They'd won the race to space, but they'd lost the race to the moon. Conversely, for much of white America, the moon landing was a huge victory, a political victory, a scientific victory. But what did the moon landing mean for many black Americans? Well, one interpretation of these events was immortalized by Gil Scott Heron's jazz poem, Whitey's on the Moon. So let me just read you a few verses. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell. And Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor's bill, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. The man just upped my rent last night, cause Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights. But Whitey's on the moon. To Gil Scott Heron, the, the lunar landing, it wasn't a victory. It was the height of racial irony. The US spent exorbitantly to put a white man on the moon, and meanwhile, a black man's sister is languishing from a curable malady just because she doesn't have enough money to stop it. One event, three different interpretations, defeat, victory, irony. This shows that there's really no such thing as unbiased history writing. All retellings, whether they're by word or by mouth, all retellings are interpretations. They're all interpretations of history. And it's obvious some can be more or less valid. Some can be more or less accurate. But nevertheless, it's always an interpretation. It's not the event itself. The Bible is no exception. It's giving us an interpretation of historical events And so the relevant question we need to ask so that we can read the Bible well is what kind of history is it giving us? So let's just look at one event, the Exodus. You know, the story of Moses, Pharaoh, Yahweh, the plagues, a a nation of slaves fleeing out of Egypt. What kind of history is the Bible telling about that event? Well, let's start with what it's not. It's not natural history. So it certainly describes things that are happening in nature, but natural history, it focuses on the scientific chain of causes and events that occur in the physical order of things. So some scholars have tried to turn the Exodus into natural history. They've created this elaborate chain of causes and effects that explain each one of the plagues. They say, okay, well, dust is what got into the Nile and that's what caused it to turn red like blood which caused the frogs then to jump out of the Nile. And then they die. And then that draws massive clouds of gnats who are breeding and feeding on their bodies. Now here's the deal. These ideas, they they could be true or they could be false, but the Bible really isn't weighing in on that. It's not trying to give us a a natural history. Some people actually reject the Bible because they see that it's not giving natural explanations for things. But that's not what the Bible ever said it was going to do. That's not what the Bible claims to do. It's kind of like rejecting a cookbook because it doesn't describe the chemical processes that occur in cooking. Well, you just aren't understanding what a cookbook does. The Bible isn't natural history. It's not sociological history. It's not psychological history. It's not philosophical history or even political history. It might have many of those things in it, but that's not what it is. So what kind of history is the Bible actually trying to offer us? Well, there's actually an interesting story, and it comes smack in the middle of the 10 plagues in the book of Exodus. So early on during the plagues, Pharaoh has these magicians, and they're able to replicate all of the miracles that Moses and Aaron do. But finally, we get to the plague of gnats. Every inch of Egypt is covered with gnats, and the magicians? They can't replicate it. They can't do this one. And so they go to Pharaoh and here's what happens. They give a historical interpretation of the events that they're witnessing. Exodus 8, 19. The magician said to Pharaoh, this, what we're looking at, this is the finger of God. They don't give a natural explanation. Oh, well, there are just so many frogs and they all died and that's why the gnats have come. They don't give a social explanation or psychological, or philosophical, or political. No, the magicians actually end up giving a theological explanation. They say, look, what we're witnessing right now is nothing less than an act of God. They're offering a, a theological interpretation of history. And according to Exodus, it's the most accurate and valid interpretation of history in this instance. Why? Why? Well, it's because the Bible in almost its entire entirety is a theological interpretation of history. The Bible is mostly history about God, about who God is, about what God has done and about what God says he will do, what we can expect him to do. Even when the Bible isn't retelling history, it's usually framing those parts within a history. Now, I think all of this tells us two things, two things that are super important and I actually think kind of interesting, okay? Thing number one, first, the Bible doesn't do theology in the way we might expect, or at least the way a lot of us are used to as Christians living in the West. It doesn't give us a set of neat, orderly, timeless, static statements about who God is, nor does it give us those things in the form of propositions about reality, I'm not saying these things can't be drawn from it. They they can be, and that's fine. But the Bible does theology a different way. The Bible does theology through stories. To understand what it's saying theologically, we need to look at the Bible's main theological themes because themes are, are narratives that run through the Bible or run through particular books. Themes like kingdom, blessing, holiness, the image of God. These are all kind of theological meta-stories that come in the form of themes that run throughout books or that run throughout the entire Bible. Okay, so the first thing that this tells us, the Bible does theology through narrative themes. Uh, but this leads to my second point. Second, if we want to get at the real meaning of a biblical text, like, hey, what does it mean? I, I, I want to get at the the central meaning or or meanings often. Well, to get to that, we need to properly understand the theological themes in the book. Because if we try to read the Bible using a different set of lenses, the natural sciences or sociology, psychology, philosophy, we may find something interesting. We might even find something true and good, something valuable. But each of these lenses, they leave the main meaning, what the author was trying to communicate. They leave those main meanings out of focus. But if we know a book's main theological themes, we can put on those themes kind of like lenses, like glasses. And when we put them on, it helps bring the entire book, all of its details and parts into focus. It kind of makes me think of something that happened to me a few years ago during a trip to Israel. So uh, we just landed, I get off the plane, and I'm totally jet lagged. And so I know exactly what I need. I need coffee. So I ask our tour guide, okay, where do I go? And he says, you got to go to Aroma because that's the best coffee in Israel. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he told me. And so I go to one and I order a cup of black coffee. They bring it out. I sit down and I'm getting ready for my first glorious sip. And it's awful. I take off the cap. I look at it. It's a cappuccino. So I go back to the counter. I mean, I'm assuming it's probably me. There's a language barrier, all that stuff. And I politely ask for a black coffee. They bring it out. I sit down. I get ready for that first glorious sip. And it's awful again. Open up the cap. It's another cappuccino. Now, at this point, I'm definitely, definitely assuming that it's my fault. You know, dumb American tourist, that kind of thing. So I go to the tour guide and I ask him about it. I'm like, okay, what am I doing wrong here? He starts laughing. And he says to me in his thick Israeli accent, he said, I I should have told you, you can't get coffee in Israel. We don't have it. They assume that all of you Americans like your drinks milky and frothy, and that's why they gave you a cappuccino. Because in Israel, we have no coffee. All we have is espresso. If you want something good, if you want the the best thing we've got to offer, you should try ordering that. And so I took him up on it. At the next place we stopped at, I, I got some espresso. And to tell you the truth, at first the espresso was a little bit too strong and too bitter for me, but I stuck with it, you know? I thought I'm going to be a part of the real cultural experience here. And by the end of the trip, I loved it. I loved the espresso. In fact, I loved it so much that I only make espresso at home now. Espresso is my thing. When we try to read the Bible as something that it's not, natural history, sociological history, philosophical history, political history... When we try to read the Bible as something it's not, we end up asking for things that the Bible's not offering. And we end up getting things we didn't ask for, things we don't like. We're asking for coffee in Israel. But if we read the Bible the way it invites us to read it, as a theological interpretation of history, well, that means we're going to be asking the Bible for something it's actually offering. We're asking for espresso in Israel. It might be different than what we're used to, It might be bold or bitter or challenging. But in the end, if we stick with it, we're going to find out that it's really good. It's satisfying. It's enriching. Understanding the theological themes that run through the Bible is going to help you bring the Bible into focus. It's going to help you see the right things. And since these theological glasses are informed by the Bible, you can adjust them and alter them on the fly as the Bible presents you new and challenging things. That's one of the exciting parts of reading the Bible. You're never done. It's always changing your perspective. We hope that our theme guides on Instagram and here on the podcast, that they're going to help you understand the main theological themes that run through books of the Bible. We want to help you put on those glasses so that you can bring the Bible into focus, so you can see how all the parts fit together, so that you can ask the right questions, see the main things. Stop asking for coffee in Israel and really enjoy the espresso that the Bible has to offer.